Hello, Earnings Call listener. My name is Hadi Youssef. I run this earnings season podcast, but I also run the Borster Earnings Call mobile app, and that's what I wanted to quickly tell you about today. We've created a dedicated app for listening to earnings calls. What I mean by that is that we've basically created the Spotify for earnings calls. Our app lets you add any company to your watch list. You can download any earnings call to your phone. You can set notifications for specific companies for when a new call is available. You can also see the exact date of the earnings call. And if there is a company that isn't on our app yet, you can request a company within our app and we will promptly add it. Making earnings calls easy to access is something that I care a lot about. It's why I created this earnings season podcast. But obviously, we cannot add every single earnings call that gets published on this podcast, or else you'll be having hundreds of episodes every week. And so, we've created a dedicated app where you can go and pick and choose the exact earnings calls、uh, you're interested in. And what we post on this earnings season podcast are basically kind of the highlights or the most notable earnings calls. But in the show notes of this episode, I've included a video demonstration where I walk you through all the features that I just described for our app. And I also included the link to the App Store where you can go there and see the description of the app and the reviews. You know, I'm really proud of the feedback we've gotten from our users. And,、uh, you know, pleasing and satisfying our, our users and our customers is, is something that I、uh, take pride in. And, and as a team, we、uh, really pride ourselves on that. And so, I don't want to take more of your time and, and keep you from listening to the earnings calls you've selected today. So, without further ado, here is your earnings call. Good day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Square First Quarter 2019 earnings conference call. I would now like to turn the call over to your host, Jason Lee, Head of Investor Relations. Please go ahead. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining our first quarter 2019 earnings call. We have Jack and Amrita with us today. First, we want to remind everyone of the format of our earnings call. We have published a shareholder letter on our investor relations website, which was available shortly after the market closed. We will begin this call with some short remarks before opening the call directly to your questions. During QA, we will take questions from our sellers in addition to questions from conference call participants. We would also like to remind everyone that we will be making forward looking statements on this call. Actual results could differ materially from those contemplated by our forward looking statements. Report results should not be considered as an indication of future performance. Please take a look at our findings with the SEC for a discussion of the factors that could cause our results to differ. Also, note that the forward looking statements on this call are based on information available to us as of today's date. We disclaim any obligation to update any forward looking statements except as required by law. Also, during this call, we will discuss certain non GAAP financial measures. Reconciliations to the most directly comparable GAAP financial measures are provided in the shareholder letter on our investor relations website. These non GAAP measures are not intended to be a substitute for our GAAP results. Finally, this call in its entirety is being audio webcast on our investor relations website. An audio replay of this call will be available on our website shortly. With that, I would like to turn over to Jack. Good day, everyone, and thanks for joining us on our call today.、Uh, I wanted to start off just by talking a little bit about some of、um, the highlights from the quarter. And pass it off to Amrita for some of her comments. So, one quarter into 2019, what's been top of mind for, for me and us has been around the, our ecosystem that we're building.、Um, this is our strongest competitive differentiator. This not only benefits our customers, both sellers and increasingly、uh, individuals with the Cash App, but also benefits our internal teams. 
Um, for our internal teams, it allows us to move a whole lot faster. Um, some examples of this is be because we had and built uh, the e-commerce API, we were able to very quickly build virtual terminal and get it to scale. And because we built the cash card, that enabled us to build the square card to offer a similar offering for sellers. This quarter, we relaunched Square for Retail with an applet model. This allows us to add features like invoices that were originally developed for Square Point of Sale directly to Square for Retail. So generally, we want to continue to invest into this ecosystem. We do think it sets us apart from all of our peers and competitors in the industry. It allows us to move faster and faster every single day. We've been improving our tools for sellers to combine online and in-person sales. We've been talking about Omnichannel for, for quite some time. This quarter, we launched the new Square online store. Uh, and we made it so that it has automatic syncing of both in online and in-person data. So all of a seller's items, orders, inventory, and prices are synced automatically, which is another result of our ecosystem and using our internal tools uh, to have much more impact and to move faster. We've also been increasing our product velocity in our markets outside the United States. So Square Online Store launched in Australia, Canada, the UK, and the, in the, in the United States. Square Invoices launch in all of our markets at once. Uh, we want to see more of our products do this. And Japan has been a very interesting story. I was in the country um, a, few, a few months ago, and we're starting to see a lot more tailwinds within the market rather than, than headwinds. There's a few things uh, fueling this. One, the government is working to double card payments, um, and they are pushing and incentivizing both consumers and also sellers uh, to use more digital means of payments instead of uh, paper cash. Two, we have a uh, we launched a Square Stand and our Square Contactless and Chip Card Reader uh, in Japan. This is a huge upgrade from the reader that we had in the market uh, in the past. Um, it allows our sellers to automatically pair wirelessly or through a wire. Um, it allows uh, them to hold their iPad uh, and hook it up to the new Square Reader and just as an overall better experience uh, than we were providing in the market in the past. And three, we have a new partnership with SMBC, which is distributing our readers and all of their bank branches around the country. So now any one of our uh, Japanese sellers-to-be can go to their local bank branch, pick up a Square card reader, and be in business. Um, and it is at parity with what we offer in the United States and our other markets. Um, this all combines with the fact that uh, Japan is hosting the 2020 Olympics, International Rugby League, uh, where you have a bunch of uh, uh, individuals from all around the world who are coming to the market expecting to pay the way that they know how to, how to usually with card or with a phone, uh, makes it a perfect storm of um, um, a situation where we, we, we can really see a potential for a lot of growth. So we're really excited about, uh, about Japan and our increased uh, velocity uh, in our markets outside the United States. And with that, I'll hand it over to Amrita. Thanks, Jack. I'd like to share three highlights this quarter. First, we continued to deliver strong revenue growth at scale. Second, we continued to build out our seller ecosystem, including the launch of Square Invoices as a standalone app. And third, we're raising revenue guidance for the full year 2019 on the basis of strong underlying trends across our business. So first, driving growth at scale. The momentum across both our seller and cash app ecosystems 
drove total net revenue growth of 43% year-over-year, or 39% excluding acquisitions, and adjusted revenue growth of 59% year-over-year, or 49% excluding acquisitions. Within our seller ecosystem, um, GPV from mid-market sellers grew 50% year-over-year. Mid-market sellers, which we define as those with, with over half a million dollars in GPV, are now 24% of overall GPV, up from only 6% five years ago. Within our Cash App ecosystem, we're seeing powerful network effects at play. We see strong growth in monthly active customers, with Cash App consistently ranking as a top 20 overall app in the iOS App Store. And we drive daily utility in Cash App. We also saw um, growth in engagement as measured by transaction frequency per active customer. With the compounding effects of growing reach and growing engagement per active, Cash App volumes grew nearly two and a half times year over year. Second, we continue to build out our seller ecosystem. The proof point this most recent quarter was the launch of Square Invoices as a standalone app. Invoices is a great example of our investment in scaling an important product to our sellers. This is a product that targets a large market opportunity with $1 trillion in consumer invoices sent annually in the U.S. alone. We began invoices five years ago as a feature in our dashboard, then added it to the Square Point of Sale app, and now we've expanded the offering with a dedicated standalone mobile app. Invoices has reached impressive scale, processing over $5 billion in GPV over the last 12 months with over 350,000 active sellers, and we see significant runway ahead. Finally, we're increasing our full-year revenue guidance to reflect ongoing momentum in the business. We're raising our full year 2019 total net revenue by $60 million, and we're raising full year adjusted revenue guidance by $30 million. This represents a 43% growth rate and increase of two points compared to our prior guidance. The increase was primarily driven by outperformance in Cash App, as well as continued strength across our seller business. We're maintaining adjusted EBITDA guidance of $405 million to $415 million. We plan to use our momentum in delivering growth at scale to reinvest back into the business as we execute on our long-term opportunities of omnichannel financial services and international. And I'll now turn it back to the operator to start the Q&A portion of the call. To ask a question, please press star 1 on your telephone keypad. In order to allow everyone time for questions, we ask that you please limit yourselves to one question each. The first question comes from Tenzing Wang of J.P. Morgan. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Hi. Thanks so much. So I wanted to ask on the, uh, the EBITDA upside this quarter versus your guidance. looks like it was bigger than usual by our count, and it's bigger than the revenue upside, I believe, as well. So can you can you detail a little more for us what fueled the upside? I heard Cash App and, and Strength and Seller. Any more you can give us on that? And it also, again, like you said, I'm you're, you're reinvesting by holding EBITDA guidance, which makes sense, but where are you prioritizing your investments from here? I'm curious between consumer and seller and everything else you guys have going on, what's changing in your priorities, if at all? Thanks. Sure. Thanks for the question, Tianjin. 
Um, so to explain what happened in Q1, our business is demonstrating success at scale across the portfolio. We had strong adjusted revenue growth of 59% in the first quarter and excluding M&A, uh, 49% on an organic basis. This is driven by both the outperformance in cash up as well as broad strength across the seller business. I'll break it down in uh, the revenue beat into the two component pieces between transaction-based profit and subscription and services. From the transaction-based profit perspective, we grew 27% year-over-year in the first quarter based on the strength of the seller ecosystem. We continue to see stable trends with positive revenue retention, a consistent three- to four-quarter payback period for new sellers, and new cohorts of sellers increasing in adjusted revenue contribution. And we're moving into even larger sellers. As I just mentioned, GPV from mid-market sellers grew 50% year-over-year. From an SNS revenue standpoint, we doubled organically year-over-year with broad strength. A couple of things to highlight there, in particular with Cash App, um, we drove out performance. As you heard, volume uh, grew nearly uh, two and a half times year-over-year, which highlights the continued growth uh, in terms of reach and engagement on the platform. As you heard last quarter from us, our monthly actives in December, 15 million monthly actives, was up uh, more than 100% year-over-year. And we continue to see that growth in terms of strong monthly active growth um, uh, with revenues outpacing growth in monthly active customers. Cash Card is an important piece of that. Cash Card drove higher engagement uh, in the quarter. We saw rapid growth in Cash Card adoption within the customer base with increasing attach rates um, and an increase in the frequency of usage per card actives. We also saw strength uh, with Square Capital with originations growing 50% year over year based on the CoreFlex loan products. Um, and so for EBITDA, you saw the uh, adjusted revenue beat flowing through to the bottom line. We also had some timing of expenses in the quarter, which we now expect to materialize later in the year. And we plan to reinvest this upside back into the business for the remainder of the year. Um, we're optimizing for compelling reinvestment opportunities whenever they occur, and they're based on when it's the right time for our marketing and product development timelines cool. to reinvest. So you'll see that flow through in future quarters. All right, it's clear. Thank you. Your next question comes from Darren Appeller of Wolf Research. Please go ahead. Your line is open. All right, thanks, guys. You know, I just want to touch again on the, uh, just given how strong subscription and services keeps holding up, um, look, cash app volume is good to see it was up two and a half times. I mean, I guess that's showing the strength from the doubling of users is, is showing better engagement. If you can just comment on how much the re- that, that doubling is actually being monetized, how many of those users now are now being monetized so far, and how much does that contribute, the cash app drivers contribute to subscription and services? And then if I could just add on, the business debit card you touched on, Jack, before, I mean, how has that been going so far? It seems like a good opportunity to kind of add more revenue after a tough comp year from last year. Thanks, guys. Thanks for the question, Darren. I'll start off uh, with your question on Cash App. Um, You're right, we saw strong growth in subscription and services in the quarter, uh, doubling on an organic basis. With respect to Cash App, what we're really focused on is driving a strong business model, which we're seeing play out here through network effects, through engagement growth, all of which 
should lead to meaningful revenue growth, and we're beginning to see that play out now um, in our financials. Uh, the opportunity here is vast to enable access to financial services for the over 65 million adults in, in the U.S. alone that are unbanked or underbanked. And clearly, you know, with our success uh, consistently in the top 20s in the iOS app store, uh, we're achieving mainstream scale. So the way we think about the business model for Cash App is first driving reach. The network effects within the business and the frictionless onboarding that the product teams have focused on have driven really efficient acquisition at scale. You've seen that play out with the doubling of the monthly actives. You also see that in our financials. What, you know, what we spend to acquire a monthly active is a fraction of what traditional financial institutions spend, and that's inclusive of ongoing P2P costs. From an engagement perspective with Cash App, We've talked about how the product velocity and the speed of mobile developing on the mobile platform has enhanced the daily utility of the app. Our teams have released cash card, boost, direct deposit, cryptocurrency, all within a relatively recent time period. And um, one, another proof point of that daily utility is if you uh, look in our filings, you'll see that we've tripled the amount of customers' stored funds within Cash App, um, and that obviously Cash App volume is growing even faster than monthly actives, as we shared. Cash Card is a big part of this, um, where we're driving engagement and higher lifetime values. From a monetization standpoint, we have a number of business models in place today. As you know, instant deposit, Cash Card, Cash for Business, P2P funded through credit cards, cryptocurrency, but this is just the beginning. The hard part is the engagement, and our team is nailing that. So as we launch more features, as we launch more services, as we grow daily utility, we believe monetization will, will follow. And, Darren, this is Jack. Um, on, a, on Square Card, um, just, just to remind everyone, this is a, this is a, a card that we enable um, sellers to receive. Uh, and basically it allows them to um, download the Square Point of Sale um, and get a place to store their money uh, and also a card uh, that's MasterCard branded that they can use anywhere. Um, so basically they don't have to make a trip to the bank uh, to, to, to get into business, which is, uh, is pretty cool. Um, and we, you know, one of the biggest reasons we did Square Card was to give our sellers faster access to their, their funds. This has been a consistent theme throughout our history. Um, the, the faster we give access to funds, um, uh, the, the more people can make smart decisions about how to build their business. So it ultimately leads to these businesses growing over time. So um, we, we found uh, in, our, in our early pilot that over 40% uh, of scorecard sellers did not pre previously have a business debit card. So they're actually uh, mixing their business funds for their, for, their, for their shop with personal funds. So this also allows them to, to segment those, those funds. Um, the early read on, on this, just one interesting um, metric that we can share is that uh, active square card sellers are spending over 20% of their GPV through the card. Um, so this is, this is pretty, pretty excellent and a, a strong wow. leading indicator that there's product market fit um, and something that provides a lot of utility to get access to their funds to actually focus on what matters most, which is building the business. So we think there's a long runway here. As I said earlier in my opening um, this is all based on cash card uh, functionality and, uh, and, and that system. So we've learned a ton throughout cash card. 
uh, and we expect to take all those learnings and make it better, but for a seller seller audience. That's really helpful. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Your next question comes from the line of Eric Chiagaglini, a square seller. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Yeah, thanks, guys. Uh, it's Eric Chiagaglini. Uh, again, I'm a square seller. The name of my business is Chank's Pizza Cones. Uh, we actually serve pizza in a cone shape. And uh, my question is, so we use Square Payroll, and I'm also a Square shareholder. And I'm just I'm curious to know your strategy for adding payroll to the Square services. Was it mainly because you've seen ability to drive additional revenue through addition through uh, users that use Square now, or are you focusing on capturing new users as more of a strategic move for bigger market share? Thank you. Thank you for the question, Eric, and, and thanks for using Square. Um, we, we, we traditionally just look at what are the, the most critical needs for sellers, um, and uh, is there anything that we can build that would be differentiated in the market that's bringing some new value? And with payroll, we looked pretty deeply at a lot of the time that was being spent um, just managing employees within within each one of our sellers' shops. Um, we already had uh, an ability to um, use uh, time cards um, within our register, uh, and it just felt like a natural move to um, also figure out how to, how to use that system to, to pay people as well. Um, and it really speaks to something we want to do more of and see more of is kind of um, see a lot more overlap between the seller ecosystem and the individual ecosystem that we're building with cash. So one of the things that we did for payroll, for instance, is um, employees can be paid via the cash app. Um, so we, you know, we believe it's an extremely easy and fast way to get paid, but also to, to utilize your money much faster as well um, for, for those employees. So um, as we, as we looked at the opportunity um, and we saw where we could add some value, we, we decided to do it. But generally, that's how we think about um, strategy going forward is identifying real critical needs and where there are gaps within our ecosystem and, and, and then figure out like what we can bring to the table that's unique and differentiated um, and, uh, and much stronger than what's out there today. Great. Thanks. Your next question comes from the line of Josh Beck of KeyBank. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Thanks for the question. Yeah, I wanted to follow up on the seller card. Sounds like nice product market fit uh, with the stat that you gave there. How should we think about the adoption curve? It seems like you have a very good um, channel, you know, to these sellers through the dashboard, email, or otherwise. So it feels like the adoption curve could be fairly strong. So how should we think about that? Um, and then secondly, you know, when we think about the build with the square pipeline, um, obviously you have a really good uh, relationship with Eventbrite, where it's more of an online gateway capacity. How should we think about uh, the pipeline of opportunities there? Yeah, thanks for the question, Josh. Um, so on, on square card, um, I, I don't believe we've done much uh, in the way of um, traditional marketing or uh, any any sort of uh, push um, outside of the, the product itself. So we do think there's a lot of opportunity uh, to make it known that we are we are doing this. But right now we're um, we're making sure that the the sellers that we see that would really uh, benefit from it uh, have access to it. 
Um, so there's a number of things we can do, both in terms of onboarding, but also with, uh, with sellers that are currently utilizing Square to surface this much higher. Um, as I said, we, we just haven't prioritized that um, yet uh, because we still want, want to make sure that the, the product uh, feels really amazing, um, works, uh, provides utility, and then, and then really turn on the gas. So um, that's, that's where we are in, um, in the adoption curve. It, it's still, still early, and, and we're getting a lot of really great feedback uh, from, from our sellers. It's, I, I think it's one of our most well-received launches in, in recent times. So. Um, and, and something that, you know, we uh, definitely um, exceeded our expectations uh, in the results so far. Um, on, uh, on Build with Square and Eventbrite, um, yeah, we, we see Eventbrite um, certainly as an amazing partner, but also a, a, a prototype of another marketplace. Uh, we have a marketplace within Caviar. We have a marketplace within Eventbrite. Um, and uh, we we do believe that we should be building within our developer platform more opportunities for marketplaces like Eventbrite. Um, so we get to learn a lot from this partnership, uh, and that will lead to more opportunities outside of um, any one company, but any marketplace that exists can can utilize our services. So so that's that's ultimately the goal. Very helpful. Thanks, Jack. Thank you. The next question comes from Jim Schneider of Goldman Sachs. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Good afternoon. Thanks for taking my question. I was wondering if you can maybe comment on the uh, the further development and traction you're getting with your vertical-specific software, specifically things like uh, like uh, Square for Restaurants. Uh, I think there's some anecdotal evidence that that's, uh, you have some competitive takeaways there. So maybe talk about how that is going, as well as the traction on your sort of other more traditional uh, retail solutions. Any kind of metrics you could provide uh, as an update on that front would be helpful. Thank you. Yeah, so um, just just backing up a little bit, when we think about vertical points of sales, um, we, we, we don't just limit ourselves to Square for Retail and Square for Restaurants. We have invoices, for example. We have uh, appointments. Um, so this is this is a broader ecosystem of of what we see in terms of vertical adoption. Uh, in the in the actual points of sale um, with restaurants and retail, um, restaurants uh, we're we're pretty pleased with um, the the adoption and and what we're seeing. And one of the things that we believed uh, we believe is is another one of our differentiators is how self serve our system is in our ecosystem, and this is. Proven with uh, with restaurants, 65% of restaurant sellers have self onboarded, which is amazing because it really um, detaxes a bunch of work we might otherwise have to do with customer support or account management or or sales. So that's a great sign um, that we're building the technology in the right way. It's intuitive; people can figure it out and then get it up and running. You pair that with um, the uh, the average analyzed GPV of a restaurant seller; it's over 650,000. So we are reaching large restaurants um, and and they are onboarding themselves so those those two data points are are uh, are excellent in in our view on the square for re retail side um, as as you as you've probably been following we've we had to do a little bit of a reboot here one of the things that we did well with square for um, square for restaurants is we took a lot of time talking with restaurant owners and operators and just you know really um, decomposed everything that they had to work with every single day and, and what was frustrating them uh, and how we could improve it. And that made a, a product that, you know, found 
some pretty significant product market fit right away. We did not do that with the original Square for Retail. Um, so we rebooted the whole thing um, following that, that pattern, and we're, we're seeing some equally good results um, from, from that move. Um, uh, in, in contrast, um, uh, about uh, 85% of retail sellers self-onboard um, versus the 65 on, on restaurants, and nearly 40% of those sellers are, are new to Square, which is, uh, which is excellent. Uh, annual, average annualized GPV of Square for retail seller is nearly 250,000. So again, we continue to be attractive to the very small and the very large with the exact same software. Um, and, and this is out of intent of wanting to, to build something that um, we, uh, you know, that, that scales from the very small to the, to the very large. Um, was that, I don't know, was that your whole question or did I miss something? It was, it was, thank you, Jack. And. Okay. And then maybe one. That's great. Maybe one for Amrita. Um, just philosophically, as you approach the uh, the, the EBITDA guidance, um, I think you had previously talked about, you know, kind of seeing a, a similar margin improvement from a margin percentage basis as we as we uh, saw last year. Obviously, you're taking up your revenue, but leaving EBITDA the same. So maybe I understand the timing of expenses part of it, but maybe just. Give us an update about how you're philosophically thinking about the the EBITDA margin piece of the equation. Thank you. Sure. You know, I, our financial priorities remain the same, which is driving long-term uh, top-line growth and growth in absolute dollars of adjusted EBITDA. We have a number of levers in our business to to achieve this. Um, first, you know, given the opportunity we see and given the efficiency of returns we see in the investment in our business, we're being very deliberate in reinvesting into those opportunities. So in our 19 guidance, you see um, that we're leading with this. We're maintaining our EBITDA guidance of 60% year-over-year growth at the midpoint while raising guidance on revenue to 43%. Um, We focus on financial discipline. We focus on operating excellence, and you've seen that play out with OPEX leverage in our business. Um, And we expect over time adjusted EBITDA growth to continue to outpace adjusted revenue growth as it has for each of the last five years. Um, You know, again, our reinvestment that we're focused on includes investing into the cash app, which is, you know, historically we've been investing in and it's bearing fruit in a meaningful way now, as well as investments in our seller ecosystem, which are driving growth. You're seeing that play out with things like investments in hardware through Square Register and Terminal, investments in software and payments, with virtual terminal and invoices and scaling launches of, you know, our more recent launches like Square Card Developer and Online. Um, so ultimately, these investments are supported by a strong business model with positive um, attributes related to the efficiency of those investments and multiple monetization levers down the road across both seller and individual ecosystems. Thank you. As a reminder. We ask that participants please limit themselves to one question and then return to the queue. The next question comes from Lisa Ellis of Moffat Nathelson. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Hi. Terrific. Uh, thanks for taking my question. I question about the uh, Square Online Store. Uh, phenomenal to see that launch this quarter, the relaunch of Weebly. Can you talk about when you're looking a little more detail on that? Like when you're looking at your seller base, do you have a sense for what proportion of that base are candidates for adding the online store? 
how you're going after them um, from a sales and marketing perspective, then also a little bit of a sense of how the economics of one of those sellers changes when they add the online store. I mean, is it like a double of the type of revenue you're seeing? What's uh, Can you just dimensionalize that for us a little bit? Thank you. Yeah, Lisa, um, thank you for the question. Um, so we're, we're also pretty pleased with the, the launch of the Square Online Store. It does um, capture a lot of the intent and interest uh, of the thesis we had with with Weebly, um, the, the the biggest underlying trend here is that um, we're, we are seeing sellers um, all over uh, not um, want to optimize their sales for anywhere their customers are. So that is um, in person, that is online, and also within mobile apps. So our strategy is to make sure that feels very fluid, and they don't really have to think about where their customers are coming from. Um, which puts a lot of the emphasis on, you know, how the dashboard works and consolidates everything, how we sync data across all those channels. Uh, and we've tried to make it as effortless as possible. Um, and there's still some work, there's still some work to do there. Um, so far, we have seen about 70% of Square Online sellers um, have used Square before expanding online. Um, and as we've seen generally, um, when, when a seller does go, uh, online and, and or or an online seller goes offline, they they do increase their sales, and, and that is that is a goal. I, I don't have um I don't have exact uh, metrics around what those look like, um, but uh, we are you know we're we're making sure that one our sellers know that this option is available. It's an easy flip of a switch, um, and if they want to do anything a little bit more custom or personalized to their business. Uh, they can utilize our API or hire a developer to, to um, utilize the API. Um, so uh, marketing uh, ideally starts within the product, um, but we're going to continue to experiment and, and test as well. Um, and uh, anything you want to say, Amrita, about economics? Um, you know, we know that 30% of our larger sellers serve their customers via more than one channel um, on Square. So we're very focused on um, expanding our opportunities um, across, you know, going deeper within sellers and providing new ways that sellers can onboard. Terrific. Thanks. Thanks, both of you. Thanks, Lisa. Your next question comes from Raina Kumar of Evercore ISI. Please go ahead. Your line is open. You can speak about some of the other markets you're interested in entering. Uh, Raina, we, we didn't um, we didn't hear your your full question. We caught you at the end and it was very muted. Okay, uh, let me try again. There you what are. Your there you are. <laughs> there you go. Uh, what's your progress been in some of your international markets like the UK, Canada, and Australia? And if you can also discuss some of the other markets you may be interested in entering. Um, so I'll start there. One of the reasons uh, Weebly was very interesting to us is because they are operating in markets that we're not in, um, and that gave us a lot more um, understanding and, and learning and to help, help us make better informed, decision, informed decisions about what, where to go next. Right now, we are still focused on um, making sure that we have more and more product parity with the United States around all of our markets. Um, so J Japan is the most notable recent example of this. 
um, where, you know, we, as I, as I said earlier, we do see a lot of tailwinds now, um, especially with the, the government incentivizing both um, consumers and also merchants uh, to adopt uh, digital money um, and move away from paper cash. So we've been in that market for quite some time, and this is the first time we've seen um, that broad-based government support as well as um, other uh, events coming up that will put much more focus on, on Tokyo and, and also um, on, um, on paying with, uh, with, with cards and, and also phones. So we're pretty, pretty pleased with that. Um, and then uh, in, in terms of more broadly, um, we're, we're working to make sure that we can launch more and more of our products um, in all of our markets. Square Invoices, uh, the app launch in all of our markets at, at once. So that's, that's what we want to see a, a whole lot more of. Um, and we continue to make progress um, around um, around around the world with the markets that we're currently in. Um, maybe Amrita can speak to some of the details. Sure. So um, as Jack mentioned, we are really focused on increasing our product velocity for um, launches outside of the U.S. And that really means completing our feature set, bringing what we've worked hard to build here in the U.S. to our international markets. Um, again, you've seen that more recently with the global launch for invoices. Um, as a standalone app, and 25% of invoices downloads to date actually uh, come from outside of the U.S. Um, you see that with the launch of the Square Online Store across the U.S., U.K., Canada, and Australia, and you see that with the hardware launches that Jack mentioned in Japan. Um, we see strong net promoter scores in uh, most of our international markets, you know, anywhere from 60 to 80 across the U.K., Canada, and Australia. Um, and we've got ongoing brand campaigns in each of our international markets now. We launched uh, in a brand campaign in, in the U.K. and saw efficiency from that, and now, are, now that we're reaching feature uh, completeness across our portfolio in some of the other markets, we're beginning to, to roll out those brand campaigns across the other international markets. Overall, it's, it's a large opportunity for us. We see $6 trillion in household spend across our current international markets, which is 2x what it is in the U.S. Um, so we see a big opportunity ahead of us, and we'll try to continue to execute. Very helpful. Thank you. Your next question comes from the line of Brian Keene of Deutsche Bank. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Yeah, hi, guys. wanted to ask is Square moves up the market to the mid to large clients. Um, I assume Square is likely replacing incumbents. So curious on what's winning versus the competition. Is it all just the Omni solution you guys can provide? And just thinking, do you guys have enough in the sales pipe, sales channels to go after that larger market? Thanks. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll start off. Um, so we, um, you know, we continue to see that larger sellers um, uh, um, find value and, and utility in in our in our, our base offerings. Um, so we you know we've built products with uh, with intent of uh, the same software scaling from very small to very large, and, and that continues to to resonate even with larger sellers. Um, and we continue to see larger sellers self onboard. Uh, we continue to see them um, um, take uh, advantage of the the broader ecosystem. So. All these things combine um, towards um, uh, what differentiates us from from our competitors. But if there was only, if I only had to pick one, it would be the ecosystem and and just uh, like all the tools in one place, um, and uh, and how quickly we're moving to to add new tools or, or to improve them. Um, 
we uh, you know we we continue to see um, uh, large sellers also utilize our API uh, in in significant ways. Um, this has been a very strong offering for larger sellers because they can hook up legacy systems and can also customize an entire point of sale, but still use our, our hardware, which you can't find at uh, any of any of our peers. Um, and then I'll, I'll pass it over to uh, to Amrita. Yeah, sure. I'll just add to to Jack's comments. You know, we're focused, as you said, on building products that serve larger sellers. Um, whether you look at our hardware products like Square Terminal or Square Register, both of which over-index to larger sellers. Square Terminal with $165,000 GPV register with $300,000 GPV, or the developer platform, as Jack mentioned, which over-indexes, you know, to mid-market sellers. And then the verticals, which, you know, Jack had earlier mentioned, uh, you know, over-indexing to larger sellers. We're also trying to reach sellers from a marketing standpoint. So we've, we've got products that address larger sellers and smaller sellers, and then we want to reach from a marketing perspective these larger sellers. Um, so just in, in, in April, just last month, we launched a new ecosystem marketing campaign reaching 7 million small and medium-sized businesses across the U.S. focused on expanding awareness of the full breadth and ecosystem of products that Jack was referring to. We know that fi over 50% of larger sellers already use two or more of our products, but we're focused on uh, continuing to grow that through um, this ecosystem marketing campaign and continuing to build out strong products that address this market. Okay, great. Thanks for the call. Your next you. question comes from Ramsey El Asal of Barclays. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Hi, guys. Thanks for taking my question. I wanted to ask again about about online, your online strategy. Uh, obviously, your advantage in terms of linking online and offline sales for retailers, and I get that's that's what makes Square Online the Square Online store compelling. Can you do something similar at other platforms like a WooCommerce or a Magento or Shopify, those types of uh, you know commerce platforms? I mean, uh, is there a bigger e-commerce like omni-channel addressable market that you can go after by kind of opening up and and working to integrate online and offline through those folks? Yeah, I, we we have focused more on omnichannel rather than just pure e-commerce um, because that that's really where our sweet spot is with with sellers. But you can imagine us, um, you know, favoring uh, one more in the in the future given how much activity is happening with e-commerce. So all all this is going into our strategy around the developer platform. We we want to make sure that we're testing the very small but also the very large. Eventbrite is a good example of of the very large where we you know we are testing a, a marketplaces. Uh, strategy within on on top of the developer platform. So we do believe that there's a ton of room here, um, and uh, we we just want to make sure that we are optimizing for the best experience first. We we don't believe that we need to be first to market um, to to win customers. We we just have to provide something that really adds differentiated value um, to to the marketplace, and 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 that's what we're focused on, and and that's what we're proving out. Great, thanks. Thank you. Your next question comes from Bob Napoli of William Blair. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Uh, thank you uh, for the question. Uh, the uh, purchase volume, while very impressive at 27% growth, has uh, decelerated somewhat. And I, you know, there are uh, you certainly have waken up a lot of competitors uh, in this space, uh, Jack, and they're investing more heavily uh, to compete with Square. Are you seeing more competition, whether it's 
and I know you built the ecosystem and, and others are trying to build something similar to that, but are you seeing more competition, whether it's from uh, Clover or Tesis or other merchant acquirers or, or fintech companies? Yeah, I mean, we, we are definitely seeing um, competition on the edges. Um, we, we have a lot of uh, firms out there that are making um, uh, solutions um, around payments, around payroll, around um, delivery, uh, around everything that, that we serve, peer-to-peer, whatnot. But again, it, you know, I think it really comes back to this, this concept of ecosystem and how all these things tie together. And um, we, we have built, uh, I think, a fundamentally new model um, within, within finance that we benefit a lot from. And we do expect people to copy aspects of it. Um, but we, you know, we, we want to make sure that we're focused on being the best out there um, and really focusing on the, the quality of the experience, the, the elegance, the, the fact that it is intuitive so it's, it's self-serve, um, that it works seamlessly with all tools um, that we provide and also third-party tools. Um, and, and that, you know, continues to, to win. But we, we do expect um, uh, competition on that dynamic, but uh, we, uh, I think we have a pretty good and proven track record of, of being able to scale that into something that uh, is meaningful both for sellers, individuals, and, and also, um, also us. And, Bob, just on your GPV point, um, you know, just to give you a little bit of context there. So in the first quarter, GPV was $23 billion of 27% year over year. Over the trailing four quarters, we had approximately $90 billion of GPV. What we're seeing drive growth there, outsized growth, is a couple of things. First, larger sellers, which we've been talking about, we see continued strength there. Over half of our GPV mix now comes from larger sellers and mid-market sellers, as we shared, is growing 50% or grew 50% year-over-year in the first quarter. We have multiple levers of growth within um, scaling our new payment channels. Um, A couple of examples of that, invoices, as we discussed, $5 million in GPV over the trailing four quarters is growing much faster versus the blended overall GPV rate. And some of the products that Jack was referencing, developer verticals online, these are all relatively younger products, and they're growing meaningfully faster um, so we're going to continue to to push them. But GPV is only one measure of the value that we provide to our sellers. You know, when we think about the ecosystem, we think about adjusted revenue, which is how we measure our business and how we incent our teams to grow. And, again, adjusted revenue grew 59% year over year, which captures, you know, we think the, the full breadth and value of the ecosystem beyond, beyond just payments, including also subscription and services. Great. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. Your next question comes from Dan Perlin of RBC Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Thanks, and good evening. The, um, the transaction cost as a percentage of GPV um, was a little bit better than what we had anticipated. And you know, conversely, the profit dollars associated with that and the profit margin was also better. Um, the question I really have is, is is there something that's happening as a result of cash app um, or cash card that is changing this funding mix, so to speak, as we think about that? And if so, is, um, is this trend something we should be tracking a little more closely, like commiserate with the cash app growth? Thanks. Um, thanks for the question, Dan. No, um, you know, cash app, you should think of as separately from transaction costs. You know, as a reminder, both GPV and transaction profit growth exclude cash app. 
Um, separately, as you've heard us say, Cash App have continued to outperform and, and drove revenue growth for us and for the overall business with volumes up two and a half times nearly uh, year over year. But I would think of that separately from a, a transaction cost perspective. And that's true for Cash Card as well? That's right. Okay. Thank you. Your next question comes from James Fawcett of Morgan Stanley. This will be the last question. Thank you very much. Um, Jack, I wanted to ask uh, kind of an industry question of you. We've seen, obviously, uh, moves to consolidate some of the upmarket merchant acquirers and, and participants in the market. And I know in the past you've indicated that you didn't feel like um, you could achieve everything that you wanted to if you were part of a, a bigger organization. But I'm wondering how you're you're thinking about consolidation and, and if it makes sense for, for Square to be looking at doing something similar or its own M&A activity, et cetera, in the space, or do you prefer still very much an organic approach to, to the market? Well, I, a bit of both, if I'm understanding your question correctly. We, we do see that um, others are um, consolidating and, and acquiring, um, but they, they do so in a fairly typical pattern that, that we've resisted, which is look at just the parts of the equation instead of um, uh, building a, a greater ecosystem. So we, we do have a you know, significant M&A strategy in terms of looking for really great teams, um, really great products. Uh, and if we, if we determine that they will help the ecosystem or at a at a new potential um, solution that uh, a seller is facing in a critical way, or an individual within Cash App is facing in a critical way, that uh, we will acquire it. We we tend to do um, much smaller ones than our peers because we've managed to find like really great teams that uh, every single person in the organization is is really high impact, um, and and that's what we want to optimize for ultimately. But it it comes down to um, we're constantly looking at the horizon of, of what companies are out there, startups, um, uh, current current companies, um, and uh, and making decisions based on on what we see and the, the quality of the people, the quality of the work, uh, quality of the product. Um, we we haven't uh, historically taken a position of um, just buying revenue or buying customers. Um, we we want to buy technology, and um, that that is that is what we're focused on. So, um, I, I you know I I do think we'll continue to see consolidation but that doesn't uh, that that doesn't worry me what what I want to push on is like we continue to enrich our ecosystem and make it stronger and stronger and stronger um, uh, by doing so we add resilience we add durability we're hired for multiple jobs by a seller or by an individual rather than just be dependent upon one um, so all these things are what we want to drive and m a is certainly a, a channel to do so that's great thank you Thank you. I'd like to turn the call back over to the company for closing remarks. Thank you, everyone, for joining our call. I would like to remind everyone that we will be hosting our second quarter 2019 earnings call on August 1st. Thanks again for participating today. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for participating in today's program. This doesn't conclude the program. You may now disconnect.